Box Radio is a completely independent station broadcasting from below sea level. Like what you hear? You can help us keep going by heading to the Support Us button on our website. Echo Box Radio. Support the box. Sorted Science here on Echobox Radio. My name is Eveline. And my name is Nicoline, and together we host Talk That Science today. Uh, we play some nice tunes and introduce you to the coolest research. And the topic of today will be 3D printing on Earth and in space. Our guest today is Mazi Jalal and Jackson. Uh, what is <laughs> Jackson your surname? Oh, Will. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, both from uh, the University of Amsterdam and also Olfa D'Angelo will uh, join us later today in a call. So we have a good group of guests. Uh, and currently um, they are working well on various projects, but one of them is uh, a project to send a 3D printer into space. Uh, that will be one of the things we talk about today. Uh, and on the decks we ha- today we have Daniel Thiemann. <laughs> And he is currently part of Massey's research group, and uh, today he will provide us with the music. Um, Welcome, Massey, Jackson. Thanks for having us. Ah, yeah, great to be here. And also Olfa, who's probably uh, listening live now. Um, Yeah, so uh, first uh, question. Um, Massey, you're uh, an assistant professor at the Institute of Physics at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, What is your specialization? Uh, so my lab works in uh, two relatively different areas. Uh, one is associated with uh, biophysics, which is the physics uh, about uh, living organisms. And the other half uh, is about uh, uh, complex fluids uh, and uh, soft matter, basically. Um, and can you explain us what is soft matter? So soft matter refers to a a wide range of materials uh, that are in principle very soft. Uh, So that includes uh, many materials that are not necessarily liquids and are not necessarily solids or something in between typically. So that includes many polymeric materials, many biological fluids uh, uh, and uh, many other classes like liquid crystals uh, that we study actually in the lab many, many categories of them. And can you give like a, a contrast, like what would be hard matter? Yeah, so uh, soft condensed matter in contrast to hard condensed matter is mainly the, uh, the focus of research on, uh, on materials that are much softer than hard condensed matter. So instead of uh, atoms or molecules sitting next to each other in a very organized way, we are now dealing with, with materials that are very more disordered, uh, have, have very interesting properties and very uh, importantly, in many cases, they flow on the on the deformation very easily relatively mm-hmm. and uh, Jackson you're here because you're uh, are mainly an expert about 3d printing if uh, that's correct uh, yeah I mean I guess uh, <laughs> a self-prescribed expert uh, but uh, um, 
Yeah, so uh, my uh, main previous work has been in 3D printing. I do some of it in uh, Mozzie's lab as well. Um, uh, my job is to print devices that perform some task. Um, uh, but one of the things, I guess, uh, the importance of 3D printing uh, in our case and pretty much to the field in general is that back in the day, if you wanted to make a device, um, like for example a ship, um, that ship is one of a kind. They had to shave all the wood correctly and put it all together. Um, and then coming up to more modern manufacturing like cars and stuff, they cast large components. Uh, but nowadays we can use 3D printing, which is a lot different than that, in that uh, uh, they are highly customizable, one of a kind like the ship back in the day. Um, but now we can use a lot uh, more interesting materials and uh, create them in such a way that uh, uh, they can perform tasks for us like robots, um, also within medicine, because you can uh, really customize them per person, uh, uh, one design at a time. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, um, Masi, you were actually, for both of you, were interested in how did you come to work in this field with Masi? Maybe you can start. Uh, sure, so I started doing research uh, as an undergrad. Uh, so it was second year undergrad that uh, I started uh, formally getting involved with, uh, with research. Uh, and I was studying fluid mechanics as an undergrad, so uh, in, a, in mechanical engineering. And uh, I basically fell in love with fluid mechanics and hydrodynamics. And I kept uh, doing that research uh, for three years as an undergraduate study, then I joined University of British Columbia in Canada as a um, master's student in computational fluid dynamics. And then that was a moment that I, I was 100% sure that I want to continue this, so I kept doing it. And during my PhD, I got more into soft matter, working in uh, applied mathematics and also experimentation with many different types of soft matter. And uh, uh, yeah, so it started from there. And then uh, with my postdocs, uh, uh, I explored more hydrodynamics and then biophysics. So the, that aspects of soft matter when biological matter has become important. And uh, yeah, since last year, I'm here in Amsterdam and uh, uh, forming a team that still exploring many unknowns about soft matter. Cool. After the musical break, we're going to hear a lot more about uh the types of research that you're doing. Uh, Jackson, maybe you can tell us also how you got into the field. Yeah, so I'm actually from the United States. Uh, I came here about a year ago, and uh, I've actually worked in a couple groups at the, the UVA, and I ended up with Mozzie because very interested in everything that he's doing. Um, uh, predominantly just uh, also the intersection that his group has already been working on, uh, the intersection of kind of fluids, hydrodynamics, uh, the motion of and the flow of material, uh, as well as creating devices to uh, have like a structure-fluid interaction. Uh, and that interface is really where my research kind of blossoms. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, we can have a musical break. Um, do you just want to play it, Daniel? Or do you want to give an introduction to the song? Uh, yeah, this one I just play. Play. Okay. <laughs> Here it comes. Thank you. 
Last week we were actually in the your lab where you were working and doing a lot of experiments. Um, can you maybe highlight some of the research projects that you are currently doing with soft matter? Uh, for sure. Uh, so um, basically, if I want to categorize them, I mean, in, in a way that some of the projects uh, are dealing with uh, uh, biological matter. So in a project, uh, Nico, Sharma, my PhD student and I are looking at uh, how uh, chloroplasts, which is a tiny organelle in plant cells, uh, move under different light conditions, uh, which is related to a biological aspect of soft matter again. And with uh, Cynthia, uh, uh, a master student in our group, we are also looking at the theory of how these organelles move. So in principle, uh, the intercellular transport of uh, cells is something that we are very much interested uh, But at the same time, we are also interested in some of the single cell organisms. How do they move and how do they swim in uh, different uh, mediums? For instance, with Rafaela, another master's student in our group, we're now looking at how bacteria move in very complex uh, environment, which relates to uh, non-Newtonian fluids, which we might uh, talk about it later in the show. Uh, and uh, and uh, another aspect of biological uh, research we're interested in is the light production in some uh, living organisms uh, or bioluminescence uh, organisms. These are, for instance, be particularly our focus on uh, single-cell algae, uh, which is uh, a 50 micrometer less than the thickness of our hair uh, in size, uh, and uh, when it's under stress, it generates light. Uh, so we are interested uh, to see how this mechanism from a physics perspective works. So these are some of the uh, biological uh, uh, physics research that we do in my lab. The other part is mostly about uh, complex fluids. Uh, the, something that we are very much interested in is that how complex fluids interact with solid surfaces. Uh, so basically if I have a droplet of uh, a very a soft matter or something that is very, very soft like hair gel or toothpaste, how does it deposit on a surface? Uh, which is very much related to 3D printers, uh, which is one of the main focus of uh, what we're talking today. Sometimes these two fields of research meet each other. Sometimes uh, we're interested on biophysics of some living organisms in complex uh, uh, media, like uh, when a worm lives in, a, in, a, in soil, for instance. How does it do it? And we try to get inspiration of that to make things that we call them synthetic active matter. So these are matters that are like robots, or they're like tiny things that move around, but there's no living uh, things in it. And Jackson, for instance, is now nowadays working on one of those. So in, if I want to sum it, sum it up, it, these are basically the whole uh, uh, aspects of the research we do. And we either do experiments in the lab or do theory uh, in our offices. And uh, what is it that inspires you uh, so much about working in this field and doing these experiments? Oh, wow. Uh, 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 so th there are many aspects to, to be, be inspired. I mean, first of all, uh, uh, I, I like to get a lot of inspiration from nature. So just by going out, looking at things, that's how we started actually the uh, chloroplast uh, experiments with Nico. We'd never done that before, but we got just very much interested in this phenomenon. And uh, 
you do what you do. Typically, as a researcher, you do the literature review, you see how who has worked on it, uh, and then you bring all these aspects of interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary uh, research, and then then make a research question, which is hopefully important, uh, and then you look at it. Uh, so looking at nature is, is one big inspiration for me to do this research. Uh, and also the other aspects, especially when it comes to complex fluid, is uh, through industrial applications. Uh, so we want to basically do things uh, that is useful for an industry and create can create new technologies and new uh, uh, systems that, you know, in the long term uh, makes an economy and also have an impact on the society in the short term. Uh, and, or maybe long term, in fact. Mm -hmm. Maybe we will talk about that later also with the apl possible applications of the 3D printing in space. For sure. Okay, um, then we want to get in, a dive a little bit deeper into the 3D printing. Uh, Jackson, I want to ask you why uh, would you use the technique of 3D printing? Uh, why do you 3D print these materials? Yeah, definitely. So, like I said before, um, if uh, you uh, nowadays um, most of the manufacturing that we use, uh, people use uh, large casted materials, um, uh, or large casted designs um, to make cars and things like that. Um, but what can 3D printing ca it can allow is uh, high levels of customization uh, and tunability for each design or each application. Uh, for example, in our group with Mozzie, um, if we want to replicate or create these uh, biological organisms or biological uh, designs, um, uh, using conventional manufacturing processes, it's quite difficult to do. Um, it's cost inhibitive, it takes quite a bit of time. Uh, but what 3D printing can allow uh, is that customization. Um, and as time has progressed over the past, I don't know, uh, uh, yeah, 20, 30, 40 years, I guess, um, uh, the materials for these processes have become uh, more readily available and uh, uh, more better understood as well. Uh, particularly with Mozzie's work, uh, the greater understanding of no the non-Newtonian uh, fluids uh, which retain a lot of very interesting uh, properties uh, after their cured state or in use in space, for example, that some of the only materials that you can use in that case. What um, are non-Newtonian uh, materials? Oh, sorry. So, yeah, non-Newtonian materials, um, uh, well, I'll give you an example of a Newtonian material, which is water. Um, water, no matter how fast it moves or flows, um, it retains the same viscosity. That means that um, it doesn't come uh, thinner or spread easier. Um, however, with non-Newtonian fluids, this is not the case. Um, the faster it flows um, along the walls of a tube, for example, um, uh, the viscosity changes. So it can decrease or potentially increase. Um, I guess a material example of this, and uh, Mozzie could talk you, days about this, but um, uh, if you make mix cornstarch in uh, water, um, and you can like hit it, it's solid. Um, uh, in other cases, ketchup, for example, that's a non-Newtonian fluid. Um, if you mix it up and you squeeze it out of the bottle, um, it'll come out, but if you stop squeezing it, um, like uh, it'll stop because it's uh, kind of recovered. Um, and uh, I'm sure Mozzie can talk a little bit more about these uh, depth. Uh, and so these types of materials, you don't print ketchup really, uh, you could, <laughs> uh, but uh, we print more uh, complex things than that. That's 
a new research idea. We could. Yes. You could eat ketchup. it. I wouldn't want to eat printed ketchup, though. Yeah, that's problem. <laughs> Next episode, 3D printing ketchup. <laughs> well, there, there is uh, some activities actually about food 3D printing. And uh, uh, so food industry is also that industry that deals a lot with uh, non-Newtonian fluid mechanics and non-Newtonian fluids. Uh, I barely know any Newtonian uh, food in a sense, I mean, except some, some liquids maybe. Uh, that like mayo, ketchup, or or uh, many many materials before baking them, they they behave like a non-Newtonian uh, material, and uh, it's important to know how how they behave, and and we are I won't be surprised if in few years that we have we have food 3D printers at homes that you basically give the recipe and you can modify the recipe and that prints the food that you want for you. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is if you want to do it or not, but uh, I, I think we are almost there to have this technology at Helms. And then one one thing I would add to that too, and adding on the customization aspect of that for like personalized nutrition, uh, you know, with food 3D printing, you can customize if it needs to have certain uh, levels of fiber in it or um, uh, certain, certain medications that would otherwise be, you know, people wouldn't want to take them for maybe children, something like that. So um, yeah, it's just a, a just a comment on that as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, and then what uh, makes these non-Newtonian fluids particularly interesting or maybe challenging to print? Um, yeah, so I would say, uh, as we said before, tons of materials are non-Newtonian. <coughs> so when we print things that are kind of in a liquidy form, uh, they're, they're mainly non-Newtonian. They're kind of hard to work with. They're hard to understand, too. They're very complex in their flow and behavior uh, when you're using them and processing them. Uh, the difficulty that kind of arises is that, uh, uh, that you can't really stack things on top of one another. So when you're doing printing, you really, well, some of the printing, uh, you really kind of either layer it uh, uh, like one line at a time or drop by drop. Uh, and if you get to a certain height at a table, like if you're printing it on a table, uh, you can't have like an infinitely large uh, uh, peanut butter statue. It's going to collapse on itself. It's going to fall over. So um, that's kind of the problem that we're uh, facing is, is this geometric retention of, of designs. Uh, printing like a bridge, for example, like a tiny one uh, out of non-Newtonian fluids is uh, very difficult. Um, and this is kind of where, uh, in my mind, where the space printing kind of comes into play, where gravity um, uh, is kind of lessened, especially in uh, extraterrestrial locations where the gravity may not be as influential. If I may just quickly add to it, uh, it's not just the 3D printing of non-Newtonian fluids that is complex. In general, non-Newtonian fluids uh, are complicated, and they are also known as complex fluids in general because of... Uh, from physical perspective or experimentally, uh, you always put something in the liquids to make them complex or non-Newtonian. That could be polymers, for instance. And then you're dealing with very, very small scale of polymer physics that emerge to this macroscopic non-Newtonian behavior that us and engineers are dealing with. Uh, at the same time, mathematically speaking, uh, you're not dealing with some linear equations anymore and a lot of non-linearity comes to you to the play so uh, it, it creates a lot of nice challenges uh, at the same time but also as Jackson mentioned it's very essential to address this because we 
we need these materials to be able to 3D print, but also for many other aspects. We talk about food, we can talk about cosmetic industry or many, many other, like like oil industry. We are, that these are the type of industry or many others uh, that, that deal with non-Newtonian fluids and uh, they're inherently very challenging because of their properties and being very multi-scale in a sense. Uh, and we work on 3D printing, and which is also a complex uh, uh, procedure by itself, and then you combine it with non-Newtonian fluid mechanics, then you create more challenges and interesting uh, science to explore. Okay, I think it's Daniel's job in your research team to research some of these complex materials, and now it's his job to play as a nice song. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the previous song was um, Psychedelic Digestion Therapy with uh, the song called Day Tripping. And the next one, since we talked about fluids and non-Newtonian fluids, I'm going to play a song of uh, the Beach Boys called Cool Cool Water.
Okay, we're back and uh, if everything goes well, we have Ulfa on the phone right now. Ulfa, can you confirm? Yeah. Hi, hello everybody. Thank you for the invitation. Hello Ulfa, welcome. Um, we heard a lot about the 3D printing already and we now want to uh, go a bit deeper into 3D printing in space. Uh, we actually have a nice question on the website from the Spiritual Embassy. Um, to start off this topic, um, so Ulfa, you can maybe answer which uh, circumstances would make the 3D printing impossible on Earth, but possible in space? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a very nice question, because it makes me think of one particular case, which is um, 3D printing of materials, in which cells can develop, but those are yield stress materials, which means they will retain their shape, but they have very low yield stress, which means that they will easily scramble under their own weight. So, for example, if we were to use such material to 3D print organs and then have um, artificial organs 3D printed, we can on Earth only print very small, so only a few layers, but in, in space, we would be able to 3D print full organs because the material would not crumble under its own weight. Okay, um, very interesting. Uh, is it also that sometimes things are possible on Earth but not in space with 3D printing? Of course, but let's say that things have been developed for Earth. So it's not true to say that it's impossible to do them in space, but it's true to say that we have not yet figured out 100% in some cases how to do it in space. Okay. Um, so um, is there actually in space, is there zero gravity or is, it, is there some <laughs> gravity that you have to take into account? Yes, that's, that's actually a very good and important question because so there, there is gravity and it also depends what you mean. So if you mean um, in a spaceship, for example, on the way to Mars, there would be very, very low amount of gravity um, to the point that we can, in principle, call it microgravity. But when we are doing experiments, we also call this microgravity. But it's not physically correct in the sense that there, the, the, there is gravity and the object or the body is actually fully under gravity. And um, truth is that it's actually in free fall, which means that the acceleration of the object is only due to gravity. And because of this, uh, it, it's in free fall, so it's in perceived weightlessness. And this is the type of, uh, this is what we use to do microgravity experiments like the one we are doing with Mazi. Okay, interesting. I hear that you're mentioning microgravity. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Is, what's the difference exactly between low gravity and microgravity or zero gravity? Mm, well, I mean, of course, humans tend to refer to everything as a function of what they are used to. So on Earth, we have a gravity of 1 g, where g is a gravitational constant. 
um, it's actually 9.81 meter per second per second. <laughs> and, um, and this is what we call 1G. And anything that is lower than this, so anything that is lower than Earth's gravity, we will call low or reduced gravity. Anything that is higher, we call hypergravity. And then when the acceleration is small enough, so where it's really close to being weightless, we would call it microgravity. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I can imagine if you want to do experiments like you are, um, you want to simulate this microgravity, but on Earth we actually we have gravity. So how do you how do you simulate this? How do you do your experiments? We put things, we put experiments, and actually we also put experimenters sometimes in free fall. Um, and experiencing free fall, you can do because when you're, for example, jumping on a trampoline, when um, you you are in free fall for a very very short amount of time, and when you are throwing a ball or an apple or whatever you want. Um, it's actually in free fall, at least for, for a short amount of time. And it's exactly the same thing that we do to perform our experiment, except we do it on a bigger scale, for example, on a drop tower, where, which is the, the experiment we are doing with Nazi. We take our experiment, but it's um, in, in a big tower with no air inside, so with vacuum inside, and uh, let it fall. And during this fall, the entire experiment is in pre-fall, and therefore the experiment is um, in perceived weightlessness. So we, we are able to reach very low acceleration inside. Okay, and do you do the 3D printing then when falling, or? Exactly, exactly. Okay. On the drop tower, we have only a few um, a, a few seconds, so if we only drop it, we have 4.3 seconds, and then we can also catapult it, and we double this time, as we have almost nine seconds uh, of uh, microgravity. But then there are also many different types of platforms to simulate, and I really like that you're using the word uh, simulate microgravity, actually, because it's exactly what they do. and. You can also do it, for example, on a parabolic flight, which people might have heard about, where a plane, like a commercial plane, does parabolas, 31 a day, and everything inside the plane is in pre-fall for 22 seconds for each parabola. So and, and it's during those 22 seconds, and you as an experimenter are also in free fall, so you're, you're experiment, experiencing weightlessness, and you have to try to do your experiment uh, during those 22 seconds. And, and, and then you can also have much longer times of microgravity with sounding rockets, or of course, in the ISS, but okay. different and stories. You have been on a plane like this, right? Yes, that's correct, yes. During, during my PhD, uh, I did multiple parabolic flight campaigns uh, and, and experiments. That sounds really cool. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you so much for your, uh, for your answers and for your time. Um, I think I'm going to end the phone call.
and then we'll talk a bit more here in the room with uh, Mazi and Jackson. Uh, thank you again so much. Well, thank, thank you to, to all of you for the invitation and uh, for the very, very interesting podcast. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I'm thinking maybe we have a musical break, yeah, and then we we talk about the applications of 3D printing in the in space of the project. Okay, um, this song has a or this band has a really weird name. It's called The Horse He's Sick, uh, and the song is called Terminal Rebound.
Okay, so now we know a bit more about uh, the project of 3D printing in space. And I was wondering um, what kind of uh, applications you hope to achieve with this 3D printing in space. Is this, for example, an idea to print things on the spot for a spaceship? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so uh, maybe I should emphasize that what we're doing currently is very focused on the very fundamental physics of uh, 3D printing, either on Earth or in a space. And uh, uh, so what we try to understand is that if, for instance, if we get rid of gravity, uh, how these filaments that are essential for 3D printers to put together uh, to uh, to form an object in three dimensions, how their behavior change if we just remove gravity or we reduce gravity. Uh, but at the same time, uh, this, this is such a complex problem by itself, although it sounds may, might sound simple uh, in the first sight, even even on Earth, uh, studying this problem is, uh, is quite complicated. So that's, for instance, something that we are exploring in our lab, uh, our DJ today, Daniel, uh, he also is doing exactly that for his master project, for instance. Uh, so what we aim is to uh, understand the physics, both from experimentally and theoretically more, uh, that helps us to uh, first have more insight to design better 3D printers, to optimize our current 3D printer on Earth for, uh, for very uh, soft or ultra-soft materials that we call them, uh, the materials, as Olfo mentioned, that barely can uh, tolerate their own weight and their spread, or to thermoplastics, materials that we commonly use in uh, in the household 3D printers when they, they cure and become very solid. Uh, so that's something that we uh, we aim to do, so basically optimizing current 3D printers. But uh, back to your question about applications, uh, particularly when we go to space, uh, we have a couple of things in, in our head. One is, yes, to make 3D printers that optimize them for uh, zero gravity and microgravity conditions. But also there are a couple of applications we have in mind that, uh, back to Evelyn's question in the beginning of the of the chat today, that space and no gravity can might help us to to build better structures. Uh, because we, uh, we might, uh, uh, like the example Jackson said before, we might actually be able to go to a, to a taller uh, objects with higher aspect ratios. When we it comes to bio-3D printing, which we didn't uh, actually talk much, that's one of the applications we have in mind. These are 3D printing materials that are very soft, but they also contain cells. And we let the cells grow uh, in, in multi-dimensions and not in a classic way in the lab in petri dishes in two dimensions only. And uh, the ultimate goal in bio-3D printing is basically to print ourselves. So to be able to print kidneys and hearts and uh, many things like that. And, and uh, so one alternative or one good way might be that in the future to do this in a space because we have um, better physical conditions without gravity to be able to 3D print, uh, uh, to, to, to use by 3D printers uh, to print organs. So that's one application, but in general also about living in a space and uh, moving to an uh, uh, environment other than our, our Earth, uh, having a 3D printer that is very optimized either by printer or plastic printers or other type of 3D printers, it would be very, very useful because of uh, lack of materials, especially at the earliest stage. So even for life on Earth here, uh, it can be very beneficial to have a 3D printer up in space? 
so that, that that's one of the goals, yes, exactly. Okay. So I, I, in particular, when it comes to biotech printers, one of the things we have in mind is that, yes, to use a space and zero gravity to print things that we can barely 3D print on Earth, do it, uh, uh, for instance, in, if I want to hypothesize an example, I go there, I put these cells that are heart cells, and I know how to print a, uh, print a, a heart or a kidney or a part of a skin. I go to a space, I print it because I can do it much more efficient there, and I bring it back. And for the for the surgery, for instance, then I can use it. How far would you have to go in space to have this no gravity? Because uh, yeah, you know there are the satellites around the Earth. Is there already less gravity there, or do you have to go much further away? Uh, that's a very good question, and I don't have exact number in mind. But uh, many satellites, yes, they are also in in the uh, in the uh, uh, far enough from Earth. So to not face uh, any gravity. For instance, the space station, ISS, is far enough, although we can see it with, with eye here uh, 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 every night, basically, uh, but there's no gravity, so gravity is almost zero, even in, uh, in ISS, but I don't know the exact numbers, maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. Others in the room remember the, the kilometer, but not far, let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, another question, uh, where do you see uh, your research and the 3D printing projects in particular in 10 years? Oh, that's, a, uh, that's an excellent question. So uh, it's very hard to predict sometimes the 10 years. We have a vision for 10 years and even longer. And uh, for 3D printing on Earth, our main goal is to, to find the optimized 3D printers. So we are combining many techniques, experimental, theoretical, uh, more recently using artificial intelligence uh, to combine them to find that optimal methods of, of conditions of 3D printing, uh, very gooey, ultra-soft materials, and also the other type of materials like uh, thermoplastics that I mentioned. So uh, our, our very final goal or ultimate goal for the next 10, 15 years is to find uh, from, uh, from a hardware point of view that optimal hardware, but also from a software point of view to have a dis digital twin that can give us the optimal condition every time we have a new material. So that's a goal that we are aiming for uh, uh, for the 3D printing on Earth, but also for 3D printing in space. Our ultimate goal is to actually do build, so from our fundamental research, to get to the point that we have a 3D printer that efficiently work in zero gravity and microgravity in different gravitational conditions that is able to 3D print what we are aiming for. So either that is thermoplastics to 3D print little pieces for a space station or to 3D print uh, an organ of a human. But maybe it's a good point to mention that uh, this research is so wide and so uh, uh, so interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, that this is not a job of one team to get to these goals. And that's why we have a very large community here at University of Amsterdam, but also we're globally connected to people in Europe and all around the world who are experts in different fields and uh, that's exactly this type of the, the interest of us, this type of research that bring many disciplines together uh, t for the for the sake of making new technology for a better life. So, so what what disciplines are that, for example, that are all involved? So for 3D printing on Earth, for instance, the list is engineering, many types of engineering, from fluid engineering, chemical engineering, there are chemistry, a lot of chemistry involved about how filaments attach to the surfaces, for instance. Uh, there are material sciences and material engineers also involved. Then it comes to us as physicists, mathematicians are involved too, 
uh, to look into the equations because sometimes it's much easier to model them, get some uh, intuition about the problem before doing many, many experiments to do the simulations, then computational scientists come. Uh, when it comes to bio-3D printers, then we are entering the field that there's a lot of biology and medicine and physiology involved. So there's uh, really uh, no end in terms of discipline that where which direction to go that involves science, engineering, and many other aspects. Mm -hmm. And um, Jackson, do you think that uh, are you still do you still want to work in three D printing in ten years, or do you also have other ideas about in physics? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm incredibly interested, and in, I think that there's. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that it's going to like take over everything that we're making in the future, because I think there's a lot of processes that are also still quite good. But uh, I think that um, what we're able to achieve with this customization, I think it all kind of comes all the way back to the beginning of what we were discussing, uh, that 3D printing is uh, mm, kind of like nature in some way. We are able to build these structures out of something, uh, out of you know some raw material, um, and uh, kind of going back to the biological research that we've done, um, uh, I think that there's a, a huge array of different paths that can be taken, um, and then also looking to the future of you know building structures kind of based on this additive design. Um, I'd like to mention as well, like for the space 3D printing, rather than just kind of, um, I think it's highly relevant to us on Earth now and the things that we can make in space, but uh, uh, moving on to potentially going to other planets and things like that, understanding the fundamentals of uh, uh, the and the physics of, of the flow of these materials is incredibly important. Like, for example, if we move to the moon, there's no materials there. So what are we going to use? Like moon dirt. Uh, studies have been done on that as well. So it's kind of like looking back to Earth and looking forward to the stars or whatever. And so um, uh, I think that it's limitless, not just for me, but for the generations to come. Like uh, There's tons of research to do, and it's not just physicists as well as Mozzie said, uh, and engineers. It's also art and uh, architecture as well, people who kind of all come together to use these techniques and physics that we're establishing now uh, to make uh, the next technology of the future. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and uh, one final question I have. Uh, I'm always interested, it can be a question for anyone here because everyone here studied or is studying physics, except for me. Um, and I'm wondering, yeah, what does, uh, how did studying physics in general or working in all that we discussed today, uh, these soft matter, did it change uh, the way you look at the world? Do you look at some materials very differently, uh, like ketchup or... Uh, Peanut butter, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, certainly for me, definitely. I mean, uh, look, I mean, it's a little bit, yeah. Every time I'm uh, uh, using a toothpaste and a toothbrush, I'm looking at how uh, how how a toothpaste flow and when does it does not flow and what determines that and how can I make an optimum uh, toothpaste basically. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly and looking again back to the uh, one of your previous question about getting inspiration, it also the more you look at the materials uh, because nature gives us a lot of these uh, uh, non-Newtonian soft matter. I mean, looking at the mud and the snow and uh, uh, 
going to uh, the, the concentrated algae that sometimes you see in a lake. And every time you look at them, there are basically some sort of materials. So the universe around us is built by matter, and uh, many of them are soft matter. So the way that we look at uh, soft matters in the lab, then then we'll definitely, at least in my case, change the the way I look at things around me because many of things are soft matter. Yeah, then on my side as well, I feel like uh, every time I see Mozzie, this is just an anecdote. This is a, a good thing because <laughs> we like I'd mix some like a uh, cream into coffee or something, and Mozzie be like, "Oh my gosh, everybody, come over here, check this out. This is turbulent flow and some things like that." And you know, you know, and that, but that's kind of like what the group is about, and that's what understanding physicists is about is. Uh, the complexity and simple things and um, so uh, yeah and that's what's so special about it. Cool yes and I think it's very nice that we had uh, so quite a big part of your group uh, together here today um, so I think this brings us to uh, the end of uh, the episode thank you very much uh, Mazi, Jackson and Olva also Daniel Evelyn um, for sharing this perspective on the world uh, and introducing us to the world of uh, soft materials. Um, I think we will all look a bit different uh, today at our toothpaste or our ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I think then it's time for uh, the ending song. Um, any introduction or are we just going to play it? Yeah, thank you all for being here as well. And um, the last song is from Patrick Cowley called um, For Low. I don't know if I pronounce it right, but yeah.